Thanks for tuning in to the Health Scientist Podcast. I'm your host, Richie Kerwin, and today I'm going to be speaking with Dr. Jenna Machocki. And I promise you, that's how she told me it's pronounced. Jenna has a bachelor's degree in immunology from the University of Glasgow and a PhD uh, from the National Heart and Lung Institute at Imperial College London. Uh, she's held positions in infectious disease at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine as well as working in industry on immunotherapy and the management of inflammation using diet. On top of all that, she's currently a lecturer at the University of Sussex. Right now, due to the COVID-19 situation, there has been an explosion in the amount of information and misinformation we hear about immunity and what we should be doing to protect ourselves from viruses. So I wanted to speak with someone who dedicates their life to the study of immunology to help me better understand one, how our immune system deals with viruses and two, what we can and can't do to maintain a healthy immune system. I really hope you enjoy this episode and even learn something from it because Right now, the amount of misinformation circulating about this topic is criminal, and it's important to have some non-sensationalistic, evidence-based information to base our decisions on. So if you do enjoy it, I'd love it if you left a rating or a review on iTunes or whatever podcast app you use, or if you're listening on YouTube, consider hitting the like button and subscribing for more great podcasts. And if you can, please share the podcast on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or even LinkedIn. Not only do I massively appreciate it, but it helps to promote the podcast to more people, which really encourages other guests to come and speak, which means I can get even more great content out to you. So, on to this conversation with Jenna. Let's talk science. Jenna, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I am very, very good. Thank you very, very much for joining us tonight. No problem. Happy to be here. <laughs> um, I've been really, really excited to get you on the podcast, um, especially because of the current situation. And as we, as we were discussing earlier, I can only imagine how crazy everything has been for you recently, um, especially because your book was just uh, released, uh, I think it was only two weeks ago, yeah, is that right? I think it was two weeks ago. It's been a bit of a bizarre two weeks. It feels like all time is merging into one. But yeah, I think it was two weeks ago. So yeah. I cannot, I cannot, I cannot imagine how crazy it must be. And I, it must almost feel serendipitous with the, with the timing of a book. Because Would you mind just telling us a little bit about it before, um, before we get into yeah, the rest of the podcast? You know, actually, it's a quite an interesting point, considering I didn't for a minute think that I was going to be sitting in the middle of a global pandemic when the book was released. And actually started writing the book when I was thinking about how um, infections seem to be no longer the big enemy in our modern day world. Everything's very clean and we don't die from infectious diseases like our great grandparents did because of things like vaccination, sanitation, antibiotics and all these other factors. And so I was kind of coming from like, what else is making us sick? that's not infectious in our environment and looking at the rise of non-communicable diseases. Um, but I think there's actually a lot of parallels to, to infectious diseases as well. They're, just, they're all kind of happening in, in a different way. And it's really interesting because this I, I've heard so many people say, I can't believe this is happening to us, but we should have really maybe seen it coming if we look back at history with you know previous pandemics. So yeah, it's a really kind of interesting time. It's kind of weird juncture for the immune system really i think it, it's, it's a very interesting time for well for the for the immune system for one thing but i think for society in general because yeah. i think in in 50 years time you know please god we're all still alive at that time 
you know, we're going to look back and this is going to be one of the most kind of pivotal times in our life yeah. from a, let's say, a cultural and a, a societal perspective. Um, and yeah, um, it's it's definitely a very, very interesting time to be releasing a book yeah. all about the immune system. And uh, hopefully we'll get into that a little bit more. But before we do that, um, would you be able to just tell us a little bit about yourself, your, your background, um, how you got into immunology and, and what you're doing right now? Yeah, so I mean, I grew up in Scotland, in rural Scotland on a farm. Uh, didn't have a lot of guidance in terms of career, but I was kind of really obsessed with the human body and health and disease and um, was looking for things to do when I left school and stumbled across um, immunology at the University of Glasgow. It's one of the few universities where you can just do immunology as a standalone subject, not as part of another kind of life science degree um, in the medical school there. And I, I went there, it was a very small course, there was only 20 of us. And I just fell in love with the subject. I mean, I had some great tutors that were, you know, it's relatively new as a scientific field in its own right. So the people that I was being taught by were the ones that had really, you know, pioneered the, the field and had these huge discoveries. And so they're very inspiring. And I was just like, this is it. This is like, this is the thing that differentiates how we get sick and why we get sick. And I just was hooked from then on. Um, and I've, I left uh, Glasgow, went to London, worked at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, then spent a lot of time picking worms out of poo samples and um, <laughs> doing stuff with parasites. And then um, ended up at Imperial College working on um, airway inflammation, chronic inflammation, tissue remodeling. Then I went to um, Switzerland and I worked for Novartis. So I went to the dark side and worked for Big Pharma. Because I think you have to understand it. You, can, you can't just, you know, attack Big Pharma if you've never understood it. But I was a research fellow. So I kind of had the best of both worlds um, because I had the budget of Big Pharma, but I was just there to do research and understand disease. So I was working in, in the guts and nutrition and looking at fiber and how that influenced what was going on in the gut and then what was going on more broadly in the body. And that's where I got really interested in um, in diet and lifestyle and how that affected the immune system. And then, um, yeah, I got pregnant, had my kids and thought I just can't go back and work in science because I had just, you know, baby brain and lost all confidence. So I trained as a fitness instructor and I did that for a while. So I took a bit of a hiatus from academia and then slowly found my way back and now I'm at Sussex University so um, and so what, is, what, what do you do at Sussex University? So I'm a lecturer um, in the life sciences department and I chair the board of study for all the kind of life science degrees biomedical science and pharmacy students medical students so I teach kind of everyone who needs to know immunology in the life sciences uh, about immunology and um, run those programs as well. So it's been really hectic because you've got five different degrees that we're trying to transition to online teaching, redoing exams so they can be open book. Yeah, so it's a bit intense, but we're near the end of term now. So <laughs> I, I can only imagine how intense it is at the moment because obviously, yeah, I'm still working with the university yeah. and everything they're desperately trying to move everything online to kind of yeah. to help people complete their their you know their year or whatever. Um, so yeah, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time out to speak with us tonight. Um, today, I, I really, really, obviously, we're going to speak about the immune system and we're going to get get a little bit deeper into it. But before we do that, I, I'd love it if we could have a, kind of a more basic conversation about the role of the immune system, what exactly it is, and what are kind of the main parts 
yeah. of the immune system and how it works. Uh, would, would that be okay to start? I think that's a good starting point. And we often talk about it as one thing, like one system, as if it is like a binary on and off switch. And I think one of the most interesting things is that it's not one thing and it's not in one place. It's like, it's everywhere in your body. You probably couldn't find um, a tissue or an organ that didn't have some immune cells hanging around there from, you know, the brain to the skin, to the lungs, to the, the gut, um, as well as the circulatory system. So it's, it's, it's all the barriers to your body come under the umbrella of the immune system so the delicate lining of your respiratory tract and your your gut and your skin and the the tiny chemicals that they're producing that help protect them like antimicrobial things that they're producing and also the microbiota that live atop those the good bacteria they're actually part of your immune defenses and this is kind of the first layer these barriers to our body so these are the things that germs have to get past in order to cause an infection and then below that you're going to have the innate immune cells so these are the first line defense they're um they're the things that are kind of the sentinels of your tissues. So they're sitting um, just below all these barriers, waiting uh, and looking out for something untoward. And then they're ready to pounce. And they're kind of the full frontal um, inflammatory response, the first defense that, that pops up whenever something happens that, you know, breaches those barriers. And then we have the lymphatic system with the T and B cells, so the more specific, the adaptive immune response that these cells are recirculating around the body all the time, performing some surveillance function in and out all the lymph nodes. So people might be familiar if they've got a sore throat and their neck gets swollen. These are the lymph nodes, they're little hubs of immune activity where immune cells are getting together and talking and figuring out what they, what they need to do for a particular type of infection. And they're all connected by the lymphatics, which is a bit like a circulatory system, but it doesn't have the heart to pump it. It needs your muscles to, to move that fluid around. So it's, it's more like a whole series of different switches, like a sports team where everyone has a different role, but they all have to be working in concert for it to work at its best. So it's kind of, um, yeah, it's kind of like a, a series of rheostats almost that, you know, you're always tweaking and it's, it's a very complicated system. So there is a lot that can go wrong. It's like, it's got to be in balance. And we tend to only think about it when we get those, un, like the familiar, uncomfortable symptoms of being unwell. But actually, I'd argue that it's probably working hard all the time. So going about our daily life, we're, we're in different environments, we're eating and breathing things, we're exposing our bodies to things that all could potentially cause us a problem if they get, you know, germs or um, chemicals or anything around us got into the wrong place. So our immune system's always kind of on, switched on, looking to see what's there, seeing if something's, you know, not harmful and it can be ignored or if something needs to be dealt with there and then and what kind of response does it need. So the, the, the different responses the immune system mounts can come in many flavours and um, that's because pathogens and, and the germs around us come in many different varieties. You've got parasites and viruses and bacteria and then within that they've all got their own kind of characteristics. So it's, it's evolved with germs so it's kind of always been this dynamic that they've tried to infect us and then we've been evolving ways to try and combat that and so this to and fro has been happening probably for millennia now <laughs> I, I think that's a, an absolutely fantastic way of describing it in that it, it is not a simple okay your immune system is on or your immune yeah. system is off you know, it, it is very, very much a, like, a, as it's kind of described, a graded response yeah. with a lot of different factors and a lot of different ways to control it. 
Um, and I think that's something, and I'm really looking forward to getting into this in, in more detail and finding out a, a little bit more about that control and a little bit more about the specific mechanisms that, that we can get into. Um, but like, if anybody takes anything away from this, you know, the, the immune system is by no means simple. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, obviously, you know, you, you've made an entire career out of it. Um, I think one thing that I'd really like to get into, and it's, it's something that's obviously very, very topical right now, is because of the coronavirus right now, there's, there's been, let's say, a huge surge in interest in, in immunity and the immune response. And obviously, you know, the coronavirus is something that's it's become a major global issue. It is a pandemic, pandemic right now. But I'm wondering, what is it that has made COVID-19 so vir virulent or so, let's say, so serious? Uh, and how is it that that virus affects people and how does it make them sick? Yeah, I think it's a really good question. And it's one that um, I think every uh, immunologist, virologist, vaccinologist in the planet is trying to piece together. I think there's a few kind of characteristics that make it very successful. Um, all viruses will have a sort of adaptation period when they move into a new species. Um, they've obviously, some genetic uh, issue has happened that's allowed it to make that jump. Um, and it's now in the new species and it has to then figure out, you know, can it make this its home? Can it spread? It doesn't want to kill us all off because then it would, you know, they're obligatory parasites in a sense. They need um, our cells to replicate. So they just want to make us sick enough that we're going to cough and splutter and spread it around and it keeps getting sent on and on and on. And I think one of the interesting things is that it seems to affect um, infect the cells in the upper airways and then give people kind of mild symptoms where they're not terribly unwell and they still go about their life and spread it around then it seems to really take root in the deeper airways and these are the delicate parts of the lungs that we need to be able to get oxygen and, and you know we need to preserve that function and then when it moves down that's when it's really causing us a problem but in that period in that lag time we've been going around our life quite happily we just have a bit of a cough or a sniffle but we've been spreading it around um, and that didn't seem to happen with the other coronaviruses in recent years, the SARS-1 and the MERS, which seemed to make people sit very sick quite quickly. So they would end up in hospital instead of spreading it around. So you didn't have this sort of widespread um, spread of the virus. Plus, I think these days, you know, we're, we gather in large groups. We, we travel around the world. Um, a, a lot of us will crack on with work even if we are feeling unwell because there's often that kind of culture you know that if you have all, all respiratory viruses give similar symptoms coughing sneezing you know and if you didn't at the early stages you didn't think you had covid you might just have thought it was just a cold and you carry on because we always do when we have a cold which is probably a societal issue really than anything else um but as soon as uh, the virus is getting into our cells, there's a little lock and key. And I'm sure people have probably seen in the news talk about this ACE2 um, receptor on our cells, that the virus has developed this nice spike protein that it can use as a sort of lock and key to get inside our cells because it cannot survive very long without being inside our cells. And it uses our cell cells to hijack their DNA replication machinery to, to make uh, new genomes, um, make a little clones, clones of itself and then spit those out, could go on and infect other cells. So in doing so, it's going to damage our own cells, these delicate cells that line the airways. 
Um, and when it's inside our cells, we have these pattern recognition receptors. So these are receptors that look for patterns that are common to things that are a sign of danger, a sign of a, um, a pathogen or a sign of damage. So they'll notice something is going on because the genetic material of the virus is different to our own. And so these pattern recognition receptors pick that up and they send out this first early signal to the immune system something's going on we need to call in um immune cells and start to fight off this infection so they're producing things called type 1 interferons these are a very early antiviral chemical that's produced and they recruit more cells in um and then some of that material from the virus is going to be taken to a nearby lymph node and we're going to try and switch on a very specific adaptive immune response that's going to come in but that takes you know about five days to turn on so in the beginning you've just got inflammation you're um got this early interferon which is then going to recruit more immune cells and then you get the classic kind of inflammatory cytokines which is things like il6 IL-1 beta and TNF-alpha and you might have seen a lot of talk in the media because some of these are being targeted with potential therapeutics so particularly IL-6 um, which is one of the sort of canonical inflammatory cytokines it's also something that's problematic in many inflammatory diseases like rheumatoid arthritis so we have drugs that that block it and these are being trialed for covid patients and the problem that seems to be with the people who progress to very serious infection is that they have a, a, a problem with their ratio between this early inflammatory response from the innate immune system, this kind of non-specific um, inflammatory response, and the more specific adaptive immune system. So they have too much innate going on and they don't have these um, specific adaptive cells coming in um, at the right time to fight off the infection. So the other problem is that some of these innate cells that are recruited into the lung called neutrophils, they're actually better at dealing with bacteria. They're not very good at dealing with viruses because they're kind of eaters and secretors. They eat things like bacteria. But in the case of viruses, all they're doing is causing damage to our own cells because they spit out a lot of toxic stuff. So there seems to be in, in COVID-19, people have a huge surge of neutrophils to their lungs they're damaging our own tissues and that damage is actually calling for more neutrophils to come because damage is a signal that recruits even more so you just have a kind of imbalance in what's going on and you have an overshooting of the inflammatory response um in the airways and that's just it, you know it's like it's just sacrificing your own cells of your lungs because your immune system's like basically blasting it with loads of toxic substances in an attempt to kill the virus but it's actually just killing your own cells and if you think about it your airways need to be able to exchange oxygen and if they can't do that if they're full of um, damaged cells full of um, fluid filling up from all the vascular leakage that's going to accompany the inflammation so yeah it's um why that happens why do some people um suffer worse than others you know in the beginning i think it was very clear that oh it's going to be a problem for the elderly um or people with underlying health problems and then as the situations developed we actually think now it's a problem for pretty much anyone could be vulnerable it does seem that maybe kids between five and ten are more resistant and it's not clear why that is but i think um for the rest of us it's you know you might be young and healthy and fit into that you know category of like um 
know, you, you'll just get mild symptoms, but we actually don't know. And if you look at other infections, it's actually quite common to have such a huge spectrum of immune responses to an infection. So we might not really think about it because there's not so many infections that wave through the population like this, maybe seasonal influenza. But we do, there is a huge disparity in how we respond to infections. And this is kind of by design. And I think this is one of the most unique traits of the immune system, because if if everybody reacted exactly the same way to SARS-CoV-2 and it killed us all, we'd die out as a species. So we have to have an inherent diversity within a population. Otherwise, we would never have survived as long as we have. And the the, the genes that um, encode for some of the key immunity molecules that are um, behind this, so the compatibility, the major histocompatibility molecules, they're called, they're some of the most polymorphic in the, that we own in our in our genome. So that means there's many different variants of them. And a child will inherit variants from the mother and the father. So it's not both coming from one parent or the other. And it makes the child even more immunologically unique than the parents. And that's because they're trying to give their offspring the best chance of surviving infection. So we're, it's the collective diversity. And there's not really a hierarchy within that. Some of these genes will make you more resistant to viruses, but it might leave you more open to certain autoimmune diseases. So there are some cases where people are quite resistant to infection with HIV, but they have a massively increased risk of ankylosing spondylitis, which is a really horrible autoimmune condition. So it's kind of like a trade-off, you know, and you might have experienced it yourself where, you know, you and your family members, one of you gets respiratory infections much worse, but, you know, somebody else barely gets a sniffle if you, you're living together and you get the same infection there's like always this kind of diversity within us which i think is really uh yeah still fascinates me to this day i i, I think it's absolutely fascinating just the, the diversity in the immune response and and, and like you said there it, it is diverse for a reason because it wants to give let's say the species the best chance of, of possible mm-hmm. of survival something like this, yeah. like a pandemic that can affect a lot of people. Um, one thing that you, you mentioned there that I found very, very interesting is that you mentioned that the, the virus doesn't seem to be particularly um, uh, prevalent in any particular, let's say, populations of people. Um, whereas, you know, a lot of things that we heard initially was that the, the old or people who had like underlying conditions might be more susceptible to the virus. Is that not the case or is there any, um, let's say, evidence backing that at all? I think it's definitely the case. I think we know that um, as we age, um, aging is a form of immune deficiency in itself. So um, we know that elderly tend to be worse hit with infections and certainly having underlying health conditions either gives you a sort of question mark over how you might respond or depending on what your condition is and what medications you might be on, um, then you know we might assume from that that you would perhaps be at risk of more complications. But I think in the early stages of this this particular pandemic people were like well you know I'm not old and I don't have an underlying health condition so I'm going to be all right and I think that you know that is not only is it probably quite horrible to hear if you are an old person or someone with an underlying health condition but it was probably the wrong attitude then we started hearing about young people ending up in ICU and on ventilators and you know I think as more information came out it became clear that 
yes if you're older you have an underlying health condition you are more vulnerable and we need to take care because it's an unknown virus we you know possibly don't know um what's going to happen but also nobody is like invincible you know just because you're young and healthy you know and you have no reason to believe that you would be harder hit you still might end up with a very serious um condition and we don't quite understand the differentiators of why that is so yes there's this inherent immune diversity but there could be much many more subtle things going on as well and um small genetic uh, differences in some of the innate immune system have also been discussed so some of these early inflammatory cytokines that are turned on as soon as our body detects vi uh, the virus and um, it's known that there's a lot of different um polymorphisms so different variants of these genes within a population so some people might mount a very robust early response um that switches on all the, the various pathways very early um, whereas other people might might not do that as quickly um and i think the big question is we we don't know about um you know we think about switching an immune response uh, response on but it's a it's a whole process it's a whole temporal process so we switch it on and it transitions through different phases and then we switch it off again and then we resolve and then we try and bring the tissue back to normal and that resolution is a real active part of the immune response that's not very well understood in fact it was only probably about 10 years ago that people started to recognize it was even a thing that resolution of inflammation was an active process that we can control and manipulate and so it could be um you know different uh, differences in how we do that as well that could be sort of influencing it all there is a a lot to that and a lot to take in um I just I want to kind of move in a specific direction with this and I kind of want to do that based on some of the information so like you very kindly sent me some some papers uh some really interesting papers just to do a little bit of my own research ahead of time in preparation for this and one of them that I found absolutely fascinating was a uh, a study that was looking at the uh how different let's say nutrient states and different levels of nutrients within the body can affect the development of virulence within the virus itself and i was wondering if you could tell us just a little bit about how our nutritional status um because i'm sure a lot of people are very very interested in how our nutritional status can affect our immunity specifically to viruses yeah i think that it's it's a big topic at the moment and it's a big area of pseudoscience and and also just people desperate and looking for some kind of agency over their health in an uncertain time which i think is really fair enough um i think it's fair to say that you know all the key micronutrients so the essential vitamins and minerals are needed to make your immune system function at its best i think you know a few are probably highlighted people will have heard of vitamin c and zinc and that kind of thing but you don't want to be deficient in any of those micronutrients because that's going to have an impact on your immune system that's one of the ways we kind of discovered bits of the immune system and its interaction with nutrition if you're deficient you ended up getting certain types of infection more easily and you could resolve that by getting rid of the deficiency what we don't know is if you take more than you need um and you're not deficient that probably doesn't make your immune system work any better than it does at its baseline um so 
I think what's something that's quite interesting is there's much less information on the health effects when your micronutrient status is suboptimal. So you're not clinically deficient, but you're just suboptimal. So I think that can vary depending on different aspects of your, your health. So it can vary on a diet choice you make. It can vary on, you know, your microbiome and what state that's in um, your age, your lifestyle, all those kind of things. If you've got any other infections or, you know, low level um, inflammatory problems, because the immune system is a costly system. You know, it requires a lot of things to make it function. And if you're fighting an infection, your requirements for nutrients go up, um, particularly things like vitamin C and zinc. So we see these um, levels plummet quite quickly when you're fighting infection, which is why they're often touted as things that you should take when you get sick. And there's some evidence that taking supplements of vitamin C, vitamin C and zinc upon onset of symptoms might make the, the infection uh, lessen slightly, but it's very marginal. Um, there's the other factor is when you are sick, you might not feel like eating and then you might be more at risk of micronutrient deficiencies. And if you're already at a suboptimal level, then that might mean that you're in a worse position to try and fight infection. So there's a very kind of interesting dynamic between nutrition and um, the immune system and a lot of it is focused on micronutrients but I'm much more interested in macronutrients these days and how the metabolism or your me metabolic rate is um, playing into your immune response. Probably I should finish the part of that question that you're saying about how um, uh, that paper that I shared about if you have deficiencies in one or other um, vitamins, I think they looked at things like selenium, vitamin E, or if you had an excess of uh, iron, that can actually result in changes in the virus. So the virus adapts to you. And if you have more or, or an imbalance in your oxidative state, so you have an imbalance in this sort of too many um, sort of oxidative, uh, oxidants, then the virus becomes more virulent, can't say that word, <laughs> because uh, because of the environment, it, it kind of um, ground for small genetic changes as the virus is replicating that make it potentially more aggressive. Um, so yeah, particularly if you're low in antioxidants, because then you have much more of these sort of reactive ox oxy oxygen species. Um, so if you have an increased oxidative stress which could be induced by being deficient in particular micronutrients or lifestyle things like smoking, then you might make an environment that makes the virus more aggressive in your, in your body. And I think that's something that people don't really look at really. We don't really think about how that's, um, we more think about us being deficient in things and how that's going to affect us, but not what it's doing to the virus or what it's doing to the infection. I know certainly when, when I read that paper, I, I, I found it absolutely fascinating because like you said, it's not something that we would consider. It's not something that we think, okay, we automatically think, okay, when we're eating a nutrient, it's effect on our immune system is that, you know, a, you know, if, if we're deficient, like you said, mm -hmm. it's back up to a level where we're at a healthy level. Um, but the fact that, you know, our nutrient status can also affect the way a virus, and I'm using this, this word very, very cautiously and inverted commas, evolves within our system and how the the like even to a again cautious with this word mutates within our system mm -hmm. and can become more virulent 
I had never heard of that. So I thought that was absolutely fascinating. Mm-hmm. And then just by an, an individual having sufficient levels of whatever uh, micronutrients or not having excessive levels, they're able to avoid that situation. In some cases, obviously, it's not going to apply to, to all viruses. Um, but another thing that you said there that I found really, really fascinating, and I think it's something that's really worth kind of highlighting again, is that when we talk about a certain nutrients being beneficial for the immune system, they are beneficial in the sense that if you're deficient, yeah. your immune system is not going to be functioning at 100%. If you fix that deficiency, which you know, just means that you need to be taking the, the, the bare minimum, like taking the RDA, for example, yeah. in most people will, will help them to fix that deficiency. You're working, your, your immune system will be working again. But taking more does not necessarily mean that you're going to be, let's say, uh, and I, I don't like the word myself, boosting <laughs> your immune system, right? And I know you don't like that word either. Um, and before we get on to the macronutrients, because I'm very interested to hear what you have to say about that, what are your thoughts on this whole, let's say, um, this way in your immune system with certain nutrients right now? Well, yeah. Is that something that we should be aiming to do or is it something that's <laughs> impossible? What are your thoughts? I'll try and be really diplomatic. I think there's there's sort of two aspects. There's the people who um, you know don't have a, a science or nutrition background, but they're very concerned about their health and they're looking online and they, diet is the one thing that jumps to mind when they feel about having some control over their health and they type into Google and the, you know the, all sorts of things spring up and I just think the term immune boosting to them is like they just want to do the best for their health and they it's a semantic thing they don't for want of a better word they you know they just want to be um as in the best state that they can be and that you know eating to boost their immune system or supplementing is is the sort of way that they can have a tangible control over an uncontrollable situation and then on the other hand you have the people who are selling you shit saying that it's going to boost your immune system and you read like i sometimes do find myself like researching like what how do people frame it what are what are their credentials where are they coming from because i'm curious and half the time it's 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 just pseudoscience but i think sometimes the people peddling it really believe it um and you can find you know scientific studies that will show well, vitamin c shortens the length of the common cold but that doesn't mean taking vitamin c boosts your immune system and scientifically it's it's not the correct phrase because as we discussed earlier you want to balance it you have these two arms this regulatory arm of the immune system is so important it keeps a lid on things and stops things overshooting and what we've seen with covid patients is that some of the real um horrible pathology that people are being hospitalized with is because they're inflammation is overshooting it's actually going too far and causing our own tissues damage and we haven't got enough of that regulatory arm and i think elderberry is one of the things that's um been touted about as being immune boosting and it's one of those classic kind of winter time recipes that uh, you know have been around for a long time and you can buy all these elderberry syrups and stuff and they've been shown to be um, helping your immune system cells do their job even better in various different studies, most of them funded by companies that make this elderberry syrup. But do you want to make your cells do their job better when they're already overshooting if you have COVID-19? I just think we have to tread really carefully with something that we don't know. Maybe for a seasonal cold, it's really harmless. But in this situation, I think 
then it's problematic. And when people are selling you something, saying it's going to boost your immune system, I think it's easy to naively assume that that's the right thing to do. But some of these terrible supplements and various things might actually have the wrong kind of effect that they, you don't want um, if you were to, to get um, SARS-CoV-2. So, yeah, it's, a, it's the wrong term. And I've always been asked about it. And I've done lots of stuff in the press recently. And I always ask them not to use the term boosting and then they always use the term boosting. So please, if people see me in the media and the headline is something about immune boosting, promise you that I ask them not to use that term and they did it anyway. So <laughs> I'm worried I'm going to get the reputation as the uh, the immune boosting. <laughs> but I, I think it's something that's absolutely, it's prevalent within society that, you know, when we're talking about immune system, people want to know how, how to boost it. And, I think a lot of people aren't aware of the fact. That, so pe people will automatically assume that, you know, more of a good thing is yeah. better. Yeah. A, a, like, like you said, that in um, at the beginning of this conversation, when you were talking about how uh, COVID-19 actually, uh, you know, damages people or hurts people or can result in death, it's because it's our own immune system that is yeah. being ramped up and it's an excessive immune response that is causing all of this tissue damage that, yeah. that is having... Uh, you know, a detrimental effect on, on, on people and causing all the pathology. And I, I think that's something that people aren't aware of. And then when we talk about something, uh, another common term that's really used, I'm going to say irresponsibly or, you know, and it's probably not for, for fault of most people, but is, is the term inflammation. Yeah. Where people automatically assume that inflammation um, in any form is a bad thing. But yeah. inflammation, again, it is part of our immune system. Yeah. It's just, you know, every, I think it's better to think of things on a spectrum. Yes, and, you know, exactly. we, we have a certain level that is good. And then we have certain levels that, you know, you can have too little or you can have too much. Exactly. Um, yeah. and, and, and that's where we, we have a kind of a problem with science communication. And um, I, I, it's not something I see being resolved <laughs> all that quickly, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, I think the media so, have a lot to answer for because even... You try and get them to simplify things, but they'll simplify it too much into just one blanket statement. And then like a month later, they have to reverse that blanket statement. And then the public are totally confused. Um, and it's really hard to get the media to, to bring in that level of nuance and the, the sort of spectrum of things, but because the headline is always black and white. And yeah, I'm not quite, I think there's a lot of work to be done there too. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, before I, uh, I interrupted you, um, I, you mentioned that you know you were quite interested in the effects of macronutrients on on the immune response. Would you be able to just go uh, kind of yeah. tell us a little bit about that? I mean, I think for a long time everyone's been focusing on the micronutrients, and we've kind of figured that out. You know, you need vitamin X, Y, Z, and not too much, um, not too little. But I think what's more interesting is like there's a really intricate link between your metabolism and your immune system. And it kind of only makes sense. Like I almost can't believe that it's only recently that this whole field has sort of started to flourish because immune responses are quite costly, like energetically for the body. If you're mounting a response to an infection, you have to make antibodies, you know, make all these different cytokines that are communicating with the cells are proliferating, there's tissue damage to clean up. Um, you need to have a metabolic switch to, to direct resources towards that. So there's a very intricate link between the metabolic state, not only of the individual cells 
of your immune system, but also your metabolism as a whole organism, um, if it, as for want of a better way to describe, to describe it. Um, and when you are fighting an infection, there's a metabolic reprogramming that goes on with your um, immune cells and they actually start becoming really glycolytic and um, they undergo what's known as the Warburg effect. I don't know if that's something you've heard of. No. It's, um, it's, it was first discovered in cancer cells when they start sucking up loads and loads of glucose. Um, and it was discovered by this chap Warburg, which is why it's named after him. And now they've started to realize, okay, immune cells do that when they're switched on and they're fighting an infection. They, they undergo this Warburg effect and they're like literally sucking up glucose um, to fuel their, their response. Um, so they have this metabolic reprogramming, the switch that happens. Um, and so we know that we have to have a certain level of metabolic flexibility to be able to mount these immune responses. But then we have to go back to the sort of steady state, which is more fatty acids oxidation. So, um, you know, this when you're not unwell and nothing's happening. And actually the regulatory cells of the immune system much prefer to oxidize fats than um, carbs and also these memory cells so the ones that are you know responsible for protecting us from through vaccination or protecting us from infections that we've already seen they prefer fatty acids oxidation as well to 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 metabolizing carbohydrates um, so you have to have all this kind of flexibility but what we don't know yet is how we can fine-tune immune responses with you know sugar and fat basically which i think would be so amazing to figure out like a lot of people are working on this because you could really exploit it as a therapeutic tool and there's some early work looking at you know um fasting or um ketosis to limit um inflammation when inflammation is going too far because it's sort of trying to tap into some of this um um uh, immunometabolism which I think is a real emerging field though I'd say only in the last five years has this started to sort of come out so um, we'll definitely see more in, along this line happening soon and I think definitely for chronic long-term inflammatory conditions this might be a new avenue to treat them and um, what I don't think people should do is go online and you know listen to some like pseudoscience about how fasting is going to cure your um, condition because that's probably going to get you in dangerous territory. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and I think, again, this is all down to, to science communication that within all, let's say, the, the crazy things that we, we hear about, you know, it's science, nutrition, um, immunology, whatever, mm -hmm. there's often some kind of, let's say, a uh, grain of truth yeah. at the back of it all, that somebody has taken and extrapolated, let's say, way too far. Yeah. Um, and for example, what you were talking about fasting there and, you know, the, the different um, uh, immune cells, how they were using fats over carbohydrates. Again, it would be very, very easy for somebody, and I'm not going to say it would be, there are communities out yeah. there online that are very, very much, let's say, um, pro-fasting, pro-keto diets, yeah. carnivore diets, really anti-carb, that would like to consider their diet as being, yeah. being you know, making them virtually bulletproof. And and you're, what you're saying is that, you know, there's research being done on that, yeah. but, you know, we don't know how to do so from it yet. Yeah. And I think, it's, you know, in terms of COVID-19, I think, you know, 
one of the best things we can probably do for our immunity is eating within an energy balance because undernutrition and overnutrition are both damaging states for the immune system. So I think before we go into the sort of detail, if people just want a sort of general, what, what's the best thing I can do for my immunity? It's like have eat within an energy balance as your first point of call, you know, and I think that's going to be like the foundation upon which everything else is built. Then you go into what you're eating and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. And it's, it's often something people don't want to consider, you know, they don't want to think, okay, maybe I should be eating a little bit less than I'm eating right now. No, just, just, just tell me, give me the, the yeah, magic pill. Exactly. And, and, yeah, exactly. Um, obviously, we, we've discussed nutrition a lot here, but besides nutrition, so one other aspect of our lifestyle that uh, can have a major effect on, on immunity, on immune response is, is exercise. And I was just wondering, um, when it comes to our immune system, with exercise, would it be as simple as saying as do exercise and more is better or would it not be that yeah, way? Yeah, I mean, it is, it, it's sort of been touted as the, the immunity exercise paradox. So some is good, more is not always better. But the field's got a lot more interesting in the last couple of years. So for a long time, we thought that really intense exercise left you with this open window so in the period after you'd finished the exercise you were in this open window and you're more susceptible to infection and this has been kind of debunked in a sense because now we've got more sophisticated ways to measure what's going on with the immune response and we realize that you know the, there's a huge drop in the immune cells in your blood and so people thought oh they've just disappeared or, you, or they've all kind of died because you were under so much stress exercising but actually they they haven't disappeared they've gone to the tissues where you might be exposed to infection so the lungs if you're breathing much more heavily when you're exercising the digestive tract because we know that the, the gut barrier can be compromised when you're doing a lot of heavy exercise so you might need more immune protection there so um there's not so much an open window where you're more susceptible after you've finished infection, but there is a very complicated relationship between exercise and immunity in terms of the long term. So really you need to be doing um, regular cardio exercise and that can even be walking, you know, just keeping that level of cardiovascular fitness because it's moving all the lymphatic fluid around the body, um, which is helping your immune cells perform a surveillance function. Um, so it stops the, stops getting stuck it helps move everything around if you are recovering from uh, any kind of infection or inflammation it helps to clear that out so it helps mobilize all of the sort of leftover stuff into the lymph and it's going to go through the liver and get disposed of then you also need to think about resistance exercise so this is probably coming into your kind of area of interests with your phd but um we know that having um, lean muscle mass is really important and using those muscles produces um, a particular cytokine called IL-7, which then acts on the thymus gland. So the thymus gland is a little gland in, here in your neck. And the thymus gland is responsible for producing T cells. So these are like the, the master controllers of the adaptive immune response. And they come in many different flavors, do many different jobs. Um, but these the, the thymus gland starts to shrink from our 20s, so it atrophies. It's called thymic involution. And um, if you're sedentary, this, this thymic involution will happen unabated. But if you are doing a lot of resistance exercise, moving your muscles regularly, 
your muscles are producing this cytokine which rejuvenates the thymus glands. And so your immunological age is not the same as your chronological age. You can be 70 and you can have the immunological age of someone in their 40s or you can be a sedentary 30 something and have a 50 year old immune system. And I think this is quite important as, as well when we look at how people respond differently to infections. You get some really fit old people who are running marathons and working out. And so their immunological age is going to be a lot younger than, you know, somebody younger than them who's not working, working out. So we know that exercise is really important in terms of long term health, long term taking care of our immune system. Um, but it's also a stress on the body. Um, and there's a lot of other lifestyle factors that feed into that. So if you're exercising a lot, um, it might come along with a psychological stress that might enhance the physical stress of the exercise. And that's going to suppress your immune system because the stress chemistry is very suppressive. It's also about energy availability. So if you're doing heavy exercise, particularly really intense exercise, either in a fasted state or you're not recovering or not fueling your workouts properly, that exaggerates the stress response to exercise. And that has been shown to suppress all different um, functions of the immune system that would be involved in inf infection protection. I think we do need better studies to show how this really translates because a lot of the studies are done in athletes and they're, um, you know, they're, they're at these big training events and, and interacting with a lot of people and they might be traveling and they might be eating a and and sleeping in different environments when they're going to to training and um, to to sporting events to perform so that's always been one of the caveats in all these kind of exercise um, immunity studies but i do i have the feeling i i see a lot of people who train like their athletes when they're not but they also have a full-time job they commute they have kids or they have a heavy life load they have a lot of other stresses but they're at the gym you know doing um, high intensity workouts six days a week and you know not eating properly not um, recovering properly and yes that is going to leave you more more vulnerable to getting infections so yeah it's again it's about the balance if you're going to train hard I think you have to recover harder absolutely and, and I think that's very very interesting what you've mentioned there you're, you're kind of talking about like the cumulative stresses that we have yeah. In a world. Uh, and, and I had a, um, uh, a, a guest on uh, recently, Lee Bell, and we were speaking about um, another condition, which is uh, overtraining and overreaching in sports. And obviously, if, if you talk about like a professional athlete, if it's a professional athlete, their only goal in life might be they train yeah. and then they go home to their apartment that's probably provided by whatever uh, team they're playing for. It might play Xbox for the rest of the day. They're relatively low-stress lifestyle. Yeah. Whereas if you've got somebody who is just like you mentioned, working a full-time job, they've got a family, uh, they have children, they've got other responsibilities, and they're trying to train like an athlete on top of yeah. that. All of this is going to add up and make it a lot harder for them to, to recover. Yeah, exactly. um, and, and that's one of the one of the uh, issues in overtraining is a decree, um, uh, let's say, a, a dulled immune response. Yeah. And I think also in relative energy deficiency yeah. in sports, which is in endurance athletes, exactly. again, another uh, issue is um, uh, poor immunity. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's just fascinating to, to kind of yeah. hear how all of these things come together. Um, so, like, we've touched on nutrition, we've touched on, on sports. Are there any other kind of lifestyle factors or other factors that people need to be aware of when it comes to um, immunity and things that people can, can, can potentially 
take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and what is like so? What's within people's control and what's out of their yeah. control, really? So, I mean, we talked a lot about how we have this kind of immune diversity within us. So, you've already got that kind of baseline that you know that's the cards you've been dealt. Um, you know, so you might just be more prone to certain things, but there are things you can do on top of that. I think a lot of the immune system is trained uh, early in life. So um, from when you're born and all the first exposures to your microbiome, so how you're born, um, how you're fed, what you eat, where you grow up, what sort of bugs you're exposed to, um, that's all kind of out of our control, unfortunately. If you're anyone like me, who I got loads of antibiotics as a kid as well, you know, so that can have a a eroding effect on your microbiome. Um, We don't really know how much of that can be recovered. You can have a good diet, you can eat loads of fiber, um, take your prebiotics, but because we're all very unique in our microbiota, then I don't, you know, it's, it's what moves the dial for one person might not work for another, but the gut health is definitely going to be really important. Um, And it is something probably that we can all look to to you know be aware of so getting more um, diversity of plant foods into our diet um, not making any huge overnight diet changes because that might also leave you some gut distress but um, the fiber is going to feed the bugs in the gut and they're breaking down that fiber and they're producing these postbiotic metabolites um, of which there are many thousands but a few key ones such as the short chain fatty acids are really important for um, having direct effects on our immune cells. And that regulatory impact doesn't just stay in the gut, but it affects your immune sort of reostat all throughout your body. So dietary fiber, trying not to be deficient in anything, eating to an energy balance, you know, um, not too much salt, which has also been shown to be problematic um, for immune system, potentially also if you already have an underlying health condition. Um, And then uh, the way I see it is that, you know, there's many levers that uh, are going to input into your immune system. It's like a sensing system. It's getting input from your environment, what you're doing, what you're feeling, how you're behaving. Um, All of these different things are inputting into it. And we all have kind of our Achilles heel. So, you know, the taking care of your diet, as we've discussed um, in terms of fiber and all the micronutrients and all the macronutrients um, and an energy balance. But then there's also, you know, getting good sleep. Like sleep is just like king when it comes to your immune system. Then things like taking care of stresses in your life, being aware of stresses. If you, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm stressed and I don't even realize it because I'm <laughs> kind of one of those go 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 people um yeah and then you know getting a good level of exercise not too much not overdoing it um keeping your training diverse cardio um maintaining good muscle mass that kind of thing um and i think those are the things that we can control but i think everyone will have their achilles heels so you know for me the minute i am working too much my sleep is just like shit and i you know i that's the thing i need to be really conscious of for some people it might be that their their diet is what they need to focus on like we all need to pull all these levers but some of them you might need to pull harder on than than other people if that makes sense absolutely i i think it's 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 a big balance between a lot of different factors you know the, a, a lot of juggling yeah. a lot of levers like um, and I, I think one thing that's important to highlight as well is that no matter how well you manage to, to pull all of these levers or to juggle yeah. all of these different factors 
nothing guarantees immunity from from anything no. and and i think you know what we're talking about is risk mitigation yeah. and kind of reducing the risk as much as possible um and 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 like what you've just kind of highlighted there are are some of like you know the the main things that people can do to to reduce that risk which yeah. which is you know what what we is it is what we can do you know there is there's no kind of exactly. magic bullet to all of this and i think that you know if people who are sitting at home um because of lockdown and everything then it is a time to start realizing that we're all vulnerable and we do need to follow the quite archaic um advice of like stay away from people you know while we've got like the cutting edge science right like let's figure out the vaccine you know it's like these two different things coming together they're like the best thing we can do is stay away from people it's like not very sophisticated but it works um and but use that time to contemplate like long term health you know we are all vulnerable to infection we cannot make ourselves invincible but we can control our long term term health and as i said your immunological age is something that you can control so we know that comes from sort of you know just good healthy living most of the time but i also think there's a certain stress in modern life with um trying to attain perfect diet perfect lifestyle or beating yourself up if you don't achieve that every day or if you just stand and look into the fridge while you're like you know eating ice cream out of the tub deciding what to make for dinner um you know i think that food has to be fun and enjoyment and then the endorphins and happy hormones like our immune cells have receptors for these they play a role like our emotional state plays a role in our our overall immune balance and i think that's something that's been kind of not really recognized for a long time so yeah we need to sort of take care of that as well our mental health as much as our physical health i i think that is an absolutely fantastic note um to to kind of go out on thank you for that um jenna you you've been so generous with time yeah, i really appreciate this has been an absolutely fascinating conversation i i, I could genuinely go on with this conversation <laughs> stop me before Ooh. i go <laughs> I I I'm, I'm probably going to have to get you on again very very soon. Um but just for anybody um for the people listening in tonight how can they they follow you how can they find out a little bit more about you um where's the best place to do that? Yeah so I'm I'm mostly on Instagram when I fit it in around my 5-year-old twins and my full-time job but uh I am on Twitter occasionally um uh, Dr J Mac M A C C and then my book is this one which i have to give a cheeky plug cuz i'm not very good at my own pr but um it's the science of staying well it's just about how modern life is hard and um you know we need to give ourselves a break and it's a little bit of kind of understanding your immune system trying to put some myths at bay cuz i got so sick of seeing so much crap online about immunity that i thought i've got to write this all down <laughs> so and what I'll do is I'll put links to all of that into the show notes so everybody you'll be able to find that in the show notes and you'll be able to get links to uh, Jenna's social media and to her book as well okay um Jenna again thank you so much yes, for this welcome. amazing conversation yeah i really really appreciate it um and i just want to say stay well yes. um look after yourself <laughs> and your family and hopefully we'll be chatting again very very soon yeah hopefully definitely <laughs> thank you Richie Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Health Scientist podcast. I really hope you've enjoyed and maybe even learned something from what we spoke about today. And if you did, I'd love it if you could leave a rating or a review on iTunes or whatever podcast app you use, or maybe even share a link on social media, in your Instagram stories, Facebook, Twitter, even LinkedIn. 
really helps spread word of the podcast, which means I can continue to get great guests to speak about different topics in health, which means more content for you. It really means a huge amount to me personally too. If you ever want to watch one of the podcasts live or ask questions to any of the guests, you can do so by following me on Instagram at be more nutrition. That's at b underscore more underscore nutrition. And I'd love to hear your comments and feedback about the podcast. So please comment on the podcast post or feel free to drop me a message directly. And if you ever have a suggestion for a guest that you'd like to hear, please do let me know. I'll be back soon with another podcast. See you then.